Welcome to Witches Being Witches. Spiritual besties chatting all things stars, skin, science, sex, and self-love. I'm Tara, Ayurvedic consultant, cosmic witch, and Vedic astrologer. And I'm Emily, qualified naturopath, holistic skin witch, and founder of natural skin and lifestyle brand, The Purist Collection. Witches Being Witches is for the woman who is ready to reclaim her power, dares to take up space, and expresses herself fully. A witch is a woman who embraces nature, its cycles, and knows that she is magic. Welcome, Welcome fellow witch. witch. We are so happy you are here. This episode is proudly brought to you by The Purist Collection, a luxury naturopath-formulated skin, body, and lifestyle brand, supporting you with herbal medicine, flower aroma, and crystal therapy, because what you put on your body is just as important as what you put in it. Available online at thepuristcollection.com. That's the with purist, P-U-R-I-S-T, collection.com. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to episode 24, Doula of Death. Jessica Rees is a death doula, shadow empath, and life coach. Jess believes that our grief is meant to be shared, nurtured, loved, and witnessed, and that grief, loss, and death are sacred. Jess has made it her life's work to create safe, inclusive, and healing spaces. Now, this episode deals with some themes of sexual abuse and suicide. We want to give you the heads up, just in case this is something that you might find difficult or distressing to listen to. You will find links to support services and crisis centres at the bottom of today's show notes. So this episode, Em and I have been wanting to do for a while because the... Uh, death doula we speak about but not many people have heard of what a death doula is or this process and so a death doula if you haven't heard this term before is sometimes referred to as the end of life coach or a death midwife which is really a person who assists in the dying process so much like a midwife or a doula does with the birthing process is this and when we think about death Mm -hmm. it is that process so yeah totally and I think it's something that is so needed and something that is so under undervalued I think I think just because there is a lack of awareness and as always on this podcast we really want to empower you through awareness so we think that this is a really important topic and just um yeah I think this episode is actually one of the most profoundly moving episodes mm. we've done for I know for me personally definitely um and I know we've been talking since we recorded the interview last week Tara about how much the conversation has really impacted us yeah definitely mm. since this uh conversation with Jess I've I've really thought about uh death in in a different way mm. and really having um those conversations with my my family and my loved ones and it has definitely made me feel uh, more empowered and yeah yeah, it's just such such an important conversation yeah and i think we really did tackle so many important conversations in the one in this episode and um i did actually i do briefly mention in this um episode it was uh, kind of funny the cosmic timing because I actually had an interview uh, a few hours after we recorded um, for a position as a youth mentor with a suicide prevention charity here in Perth in Australia and yeah it, it really um, the whole day was a really moving one for me and, and speaking to Jess and even post interview I think it made me realize how grateful I am and how lucky I am I know Jess spoke about her journey very openly and and vulnerably and there was definitely a time when I was younger where I hated myself I hated my life and I I really didn't want to be here anymore and I'm just really glad that I did stick around and I really love my life Mm -hmm. and I think that that's really what death should be as opposed to this kind of scary and you know scary forever end and we talk a lot about this with Jess um during the episode but I think really ultimately death should be that celebration of life and Mm. I think that's a a more empowering way to look at it yeah yeah 
Um, thank you for sharing, Em. And yeah, I've had those very dark moments as well. And mm-hmm. when um, the resources uh, weren't, you know, available. Yeah. And so I think that this is something um, to bring into the light. So definitely and just so we know how to talk to others about it as well and it doesn't have to be you know you don't have to have all the answers but it is really that support and especially if someone is even you know losing one of their loved ones and how you can you know just um have have that understanding yeah Yeah. so i'm i'm really excited to um yeah bring this episode to you which is yeah i think we've all suffered or experience some kind of loss or grief in our life and I think this episode just hits it on the head so well and yeah we are really excited to hear um how how you find it too for the witches welcome to witches being witches Jessica we are so excited to have you here and speak everything to do with death doula and yeah your journey but before we get into it I would love to know what your sun sign and your rising sign is uh so my sun sign i'm a taurus and my rising is sagittarius yes and you also sent us through your vedic signs which i'd love to deep dive in yeah please do um i'm an aries and a scorpio yeah so this is really fascinating to me because when we look at the ram which is depicted by aries Um, it's always seen as this symbol of immortality and salvation. And there's this whole theory around how you really want the, the ram with you when you're going through a journey of courage. And I thought that was really beautiful, especially knowing what you do. And then the Scorpio aspect was Scorpio rules, the, the hidden and the metaphysical and death and rebirth. And so I can see a lot of that as well, but it's a really um, misunderstood sign, but there's so much depth um, and brilliance to it. So I could definitely see those links in in what you do so yeah that's fascinating and do you know your uh human design as well yeah I'm actually a self-projected projector Ooh, I think you're our first projector that we have actually had so yeah that's very cool I like that yeah. <laughs> um, so we'd love to know, Jess, how did you get started in your field? Um, what do you call yourself and what has your journey been with um, death and from like a young age or from recent years? What has your experience been? Mm. So when you're it's a calling. It really is a calling doing uh, death work, shadow work, being in the kind of like the darker archetypes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can look back as it, look back on my childhood now and see, oh yeah, there's all these things I was really fascinated by. I was always fascinated how, what animals would look like when they were dead. So when they weren't animated and I would kind of like hold them and kind of caress them and, and look at them in a way it's like this is just a vessel and where does it go like where does that thing that animates this once living being like where is that thing so I always had this kind of like fascination um with dead animals which was um my poor mom very morbid right because you're just kind of like why is my child so fascinated with like this dead bee and has all these questions um <laughs> so I have that and then um I am a survivor of child sexual abuse and so I went into this like very deep depression as a as a you know adolescent once the hormones kicked in and I had a lot of depression and suicide ideation and death ideation and so I became very um dark and then I tried to learn to manage all of that through like masking. So I'm neurodivergent, I'm neurospicy, I'm ADHD. And so I got really good at hiding all that dark and like what other people perceived as macabre and strange and different. At least I thought I was doing a good job at masking it. But a lot of the time people were like, you're pretty weird. Um, And so, uh, 
I romanticized death and dying for most of my life. And a lot of my peers who are death doula actually come from a place of experiencing like uh, trauma around death and dying, like a loved one dying traumatically or them wanting to be better caregivers for them um, or having death anxiety. Where mine was, I'm actually the opposite. I was like trying to call death in all the time. And so um, what really started like turning everything around for me was that my husband's grandmother passed away on her own. Um, and culturally speaking, that's not something that I'm accustomed to. But I know now that we choose whether or not we want to pass uh, with our loved ones present or like we wait until they've like go grab a sandwich or need to use the restroom. And then we're like, okay, I'm out. Bye. I don't want you to see me going because it's too painful for you. But then I didn't know that I was unaware. And it was such a shock to my system that I started looking up like, way people die alone. And then from there, I discovered that there are a lot of people that pass away in nursing homes on their own by themselves. And then the, you know, no one dying alone program popped up. And then this really amazing kind of term and title, the end of life doula, a death midwife, death companion. And I was like, it resonated so deeply with me that I was like immediately investigating trainings. How do I like figure this out? This is what I want to do. At that point, I thought it was just going to be for a volunteer. Like I wanted to be a volunteer in hospice. And then um, little did I know that was like the beginning step, the actual first like actionable step into like the path that I'm on now. Thank you for sharing your story. It's so, um, so much depth there. And I, I feel it's just so fascinating how you started at such a young age and um, had that depth already there to understand that animation of life. And was that something that your, your parents um, really encouraged? Because I would like to think um, as we progress that this is going to become a less taboo subject and because death is such a taboo, what is your understanding of death philosophy and why do you think it is so taboo? Mm. That's a great question. And, um, you know, I have to give my mom a lot of credit. She never shielded me from those parts of myself. She would just kind of be like, that's great honey kind of you know and um kind of try to gear me towards other things but she you know encouraged the exploration she really did encourage the the kind of like okay you're a kid and you have all these questions so I'm going to you know try to support you and guide you as best as I can so I'm Mexican-American and so there's a lot of death folklore a lot of death mysticism and this kind of embracing of uh, death as part of life and specifically for my family we um, don't shield children in particular from those aspects so uh, my mom really tried to help me understand as much as possible that death is what happens to everyone and um, so I didn't know that that wasn't normal in western societies you know I was aware that uh, most of the time people do not talk about death it's not a part of life and it is incredibly taboo and there's there are even some people who like don't talk about death because you're gonna you're gonna call it in you're gonna bring it in and you know and it becomes this kind of like um like oh it's the curse of talking talking about something so so taboo which is actually completely normal and there's, there are a few theories and there's a few things I've read about why we shifted. Because we went from like, so for instance, you know, in the United States, we had the kind of memento mori, the Victorian era, the Edwardian, where you did post uh, mortem photographs. You did, you know, uh, take a piece of hair and wear it as jewelry or teeth of your loved one. And that started shifting. And I think it's um, had a lot to do with kind of like, you know, once we started seeing war or being a part of wars and seeing the gruesome aspects of that kind of death and dying that we just kind of wanted to go into like the extreme opposite of like, no, like wealth and life and living and and don't worry about death because we're too busy accumulating, um, you know, wealth and experiences and vacations. And I think at some point we all started getting very, very uh, afraid of our own mortality. 
Mm-hmm. And now it's one of those things where there's so much anxiety around it that we can't really have conversations without, I think, really freaking people out. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Generally, it is something, especially in the Western culture, that is so feared. But it's bizarre because it's, as you said, it's inevitable. Like it happens to all of us and feeling anxious about it is not going to change (laughs) whether it's going to happen or not. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I also think that we don't listen to those feelings, those emotions, um, which I learned from really doing a lot of the shadow work, which death work has led me to is that those feelings of anxiety and overwhelm and fear, they're, they're trying to tell you a story. They're trying to help you through a situation. They're indicators of, hey, let's look at this. And so most people don't understand is that, yes, there's that anxiety there, but there's a lot more control over end of life than you realize. Um, And those kind of help empower you versus it being something that you're completely unaware of. And if it happens to you, which it will, whether a loved one passes, uh, an acquaintance, or you yourself go through, say, a terminal illness and you're actually passing, um, there's more management and control to your end of life than, than you understand. And if you don't, you're kind of leaving it up to just the whims of others. And, and you're also not considering how much that's adding to your loved ones. If you're gone and they have to be the administrator and figure out, do they want to be cremated? Do they want to be buried? Were they into eco stuff and making all these choices? And then you're impeding their processing and their grief. Um, But there's also something really kind of cosmic about being able to witness people in their death, also being a participant as a rite of passage, there's an like an honor, a sacredness to it. Uh, and I think that's really what we're missing is the understanding of, look, man, if you are just so lucky to make it to old age and you are surrounded by loved ones who are holding you in your transition, that's just not, that's not just for you. That's you saying goodbye, yes, but it's also seeing your kind of legacy unfold in front of you of these, like, this next generation of human beings that are carrying your torch, that are carrying your light, that are um, kind of becoming whole to an extent as human beings by experiencing, you know, death in such an intimate way. That's so beautiful. Mm. Jess, can you tell us about your client work and what that entails? because I'm going to assume that most of our listeners have no idea what a death doula is. Can you kind of talk us through that? I guess, well, it's probably not a basic process, but yeah, give us a summary of how you work with your clients. I'm going to give you, so there's two different types of death doulas. Well, there's many, we wear many hats, but the, you can categorize this in two different ways. We have a modern death doula which has, you know, we've gone through training. Some of us have our certifications um, and we're more, you know, we tend to work in like more of a hospice environment or in that structure. Then you have more of the ancestral death doula. So the modern death doula is a non, uh, non-medical end-of-life support system. I like to say we're your end-of-life bestie. We advocate for you, for your wishes. We try to make sure that your end-of-life looks how you wanted it to look um, and how you lived. We try to really encourage if we get to you in time to create a vigil. What would you like your last days to look like, smell like, feel like? You bring in all the senses. Um, but also while you're actively passing, we allow your loved ones to... Um, commune with you. We give, we grant them permission. We say, Hey, so-and-so said that they would love for you to lay in bed with them or, you know, wash their body, rub their feet with oils, brush their hair, braid their hair. So we are these end of life advocates and we represent the person who's actually passing. We will play music. We can be an administrative support system where we can schedule people coming in and going and do you want music, you know, all the things. We can also help you, you know, figure out whether you want a funeral or a celebration of life, how you would like to be eulogized. We can give you insight into, you know, what kind of burials there are, different types of, if you don't like the aspects of cremation, we can give you the Hey, there's aquamation. You can be eaten by fungi. You can be composted. You can be turned into a tree. And this, there's so many like hats we wear just as modern death doulas. And then you have the ancestral death doula, which is more um, kind of ancient practices. Because being a death doula isn't anything new. 
the term, the title is new, but being this death companion has been with us, I feel like, the since the dawn of time, you know? And the ancestral aspects is really bringing more of that spiritual dualship into your companioning. So being a witch, bringing in casting, bringing in, you know, more esoteric um, modalities into your work, um, putting hands of healing on someone that may be going through some anxiety in their end of life or creating a space of healing and support with their loved ones. So you have those two types of kind of categories, but then a lot of us are now becoming hybrids. We're mm-hmm. like going training and like knowing, okay, this is what rigor mortis looks like. And this is what modeling looks like. These are like the end of life physical symptoms. And like, you understand lorazepam and Ativan and like morphine and you understand like all that, but then you also understand the importance of that, that liminal space and how to like still connect with the people that you're working with. Even you may be miles away from someone yet you're still energetically cycling with them and understanding their needs even from that distance so it's beautiful so beautiful i love the reverence that you speak about the the end of life and the process jess and just how as you're speaking i'm just really thinking how important this is and how important as well for those that really need that guidance in the end of life and um yeah to have that guide and have that support and already like I think that is so comforting so I'm really excited that more and more people are going to know that there is this um, mm. guidance and and support and they don't need to be so um, alone through this journey and we can start having these conversations and yeah make it more open because I like you said I think it's really important that we have these conversations around you know how do we want to pass away and just opening up those conversations that are not in our everyday um, sphere I think is yeah just so important and there's so much empowerment in education as well you know just when you were saying about some of the options that are available I mean we we only die once in this lifetime so many of us have no idea what the options even are and yeah I think that's really beautiful that you're able to share with them what is possible Mm. Yeah, and I love that you just said that so we some of us die more than once so physically but do have near-death experiences right and come back mm. so that's something to consider and I love that you said that because it's like some of us actually die a few times mm. and then you also have energetic and living deaths which yes. is where you're more into the shadow work and so what's really beautiful about being a death doula is when you go through the training and you go through the shadow work and you lean into that dark so that you can help others and help them feel supported and help their processing and their healing is that you learn so much about yourself also. And that there are so many things that we haven't mourned, um, dreams, lost aspirations, um, relationships that didn't work out. We're just constantly moving forward and trying to cope the best we can, but we don't actually sit there and show you know, respect for the loss and mourn it and grieve it and hold it in our bodies and put it to rest and bury it. There's, you know, it's funny because as witches, we have, we have all these rituals. And when it comes to death, like the death of self, ego death, all those deaths, there are rituals that we go through in order to help us rebalance, re-alchemize ourselves and our bodies. But we don't really consider that when we're going, hey, that really did feel like a death to me. And I need to eulogize myself in that situation. And I need to put it to rest. Do I want it to be put out to sea? Do I want to put it in the earth? Do I want to set it aflame? You know, do I want the wind to carry it? So there's just like, again, that ancestral side where you start bringing that craft into it and you create these rituals that now, for me, they're second nature. Anytime I go through like a big shift, a big change, I always say I'm putting a part of me to rest to make space for my becoming, for my rebirth, right? Yeah, I love that. Mm. Can I ask you a, a rogue question? Yeah. What do you believe happens after death? Oh, I love this question, by the way. Um, 
reference a movie and I'll reference it after the fact. So I personally have had this like feeling that I've died actually before and I just jumped to a new timeline and I keep jumping into these timelines until I get to this like what we would call nirvana or to my highest self or the most ideal like uh, situation um, so that I could finally move on so I can finally okay I learned what I came to learn and now I can finally go to that next journey that next adventure um, and that's how that's what I personally believe um, just because my own experiences my own dreams and my own past life regressions and I'm like okay uh, so there's this sense of this eternal energy that's constantly cycling and I'm trying to like figure out how to get to that next version of myself but in regards to that moment so I described the afterlife in that you just transitioned and you're in that moment in between transition into that next jump mm -hmm. that afterlife is how life of pi if you've ever seen that movie yes where they're floating on the water and you see the sky and you can't tell whether it's up or down and there's just stars everywhere. So visually, that's what it looks like in my mind's eye. Like you're literally on this, you're just in this like liquid and it is just multi-dimensional, eternal forever. And it's so calm and there's this quiet there and this complete understanding. And so that's usually what it feels like when I'm sitting with someone who's actually passing. And a lot of this will tell you that, that although not all deaths are easy or pain-free or, um, you know, trauma-free, there's always this like moment of stillness. It's almost like when they, they release their final breath, there's just like moment that's like held. And that's exactly what it feels like. So for me, the afterlife, that moment is afterlife. And then whatever happens from there, I, I just, I don't know because I can't see it. Yeah. All I know is that when I'm doing, say, like, I used to do quantum healing sessions with people and that I could access, so I would channel into their spaces and then I can access whatever gifts they had. And in their gifts, there are a lot of people who, who do have that ability to connect with lost loved ones, mm -hmm. lost for themselves the higher self. And I'm like, so if we, if we have access to that all the time, or at least they do, and all these people I'm working with, it feels like there's this continuous like timeline that's just like constantly coexisting and that we're able to access them at all times. And so I've been able to really help people heal um, in a way of like reconnecting to their loved ones they've lost because they're like, they're not talking to me. They're not coming to me in my dreams. I don't see them. I don't sense them. And so I create a space for them to connect in that in that astral field in that channeled space or in a cell memory is what I call it but there's there's just like so much to that question that like afterlife because yeah. it just feels like it's all life always so yeah fascinating <laughs> life of pi yeah I love that yeah so fascinating and I think that um when we yeah get to that that point um um and I feel yeah like it's it's that it feels like peaceful when you describe it um mm -hmm. and yeah I think that's something that you you say we have access to and we've always got people and guides around us um and it's just coming back to that and remembering um but I I really feel and I've always felt this way that the way that we pass in this lifetime is important. And I love what you said at the, the beginning, Jess, how we've already kind of decided how we're going to pass. Um, is that one of your like philosophies that you've come across or have you just always felt that way? Um, you mean like how we have control on how we're going to pass? Yeah. You know, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't, I think that's just kind of, it just exists for me to grab where <laughs> it's more of a, I think we, we, I don't think we know exactly how we're going to die. Like exactly the ins and outs of it. I have a feeling that we kind of have an idea when, 
we're going to die, like age-wise. Um, some of us really do feel like I'm not going to make it to old age, and I, and I do really believe that when someone says that. But um, I mean more the control of what your death looks like. You know, in in um, you're not going to have someone playing some sort of music that you completely abhor at your celebration of life, you know, because you put it down in writing or that um, people are going to walk into your space and you know, take off their shoes and that your pets are welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for instance, I already have my vigil. I, I want to be I want to die at home and I want to be as close to the outdoors as possible. I currently have a deck where it's accordion doors and I would love to be able to like be in the living room and just be able to have that sunlight at all times. Um, you know, I want people to write letters to me and notes in a, in a folder and I want, you know, as many animals there as possible, like bring your dog over, bring your cat. I don't care. Like you have birds, bring them over. And I want people to share stories of, our time together and laugh. I don't want it just to be crying. I want you to cry if you feel like you need to cry, but I want you to laugh too and not feel guilty for laughing and having um, fun while I'm passing away. You know, I want to hear your laughter as I'm passing. Mm -hmm. I want to hear your tears. I want to, I want to feel that full breath of human existence of those that I love around me. Um, and I would love it if it started like lightly raining, a little drizzle, a warm breeze, you know, all those things like that seems so ideal to me. And from that place of, of, of kind of structuring your death, you start going like, oh, these are the things that are really important to me. Mm-hmm. And then and am I implementing those things that are really important to me in my daily life? That was Why a- am I waiting for that? Uh-huh. I'm gearing up listening to that. <laughs> yeah, I really felt that as a yeah. experience. Thank yeah. you for describing to us. So, you know, then we're talking about more of like, can you manifest the ideal death? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I know we talk about manifestation and in our craft and how we bring uh, a certain lifestyle into our existence. So why can't we really try to manifest the most ideal death for us. Mm. Yeah, and that's so empowering, Jess, because I think in our culture, we very much see death as a failure. Mm. And I really, and that's why I'm excited to have this conversation, is because it it's, like you say, a part of life. And um, for not to see it as a failure or that you've given up, um, but rather that is just the next step of the journey. Well, I believe it is that next step. And how can we celebrate that soul, like your soul and the journey that you've been on here? Um, and I'll never forget, like I was brought up really religious, but <clears throat> we were always um, in the scriptures that said, um, don't celebrate my birth, celebrate my death. And I never really understood that until I got older. And then I realized, well, the death is such an important transition to um, where our soul is going to evolve to next. So, yeah, I love seeing it as a celebration rather than, you know, it's a failure and, (laughs) yeah, just a different context around it. Mm. I, that impacted me and such a, I've never heard of death being a failure, mm. but as you said it, I was like, that is exactly, I feel like most Western kind of uh, rhetoric around death is like you, you failed, <laughs> like game over, you, you failed. Yeah. Um, and that's so if that doesn't describe capitalism, I don't know. What it does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, okay, yeah, you died, you failed at life. Um, versus seeing death. And I think why my scripture talks about celebrating deaths for a few reasons, right? You're now able to go into, into the afterlife. If you lived a good life, you go into heaven, right? So it's an uh, it's a reward. You should, you should, you know, sing to thy heavens that you finally get to go home. And that's my understanding of the scripture. Uh, and then a lot of a lot of philosophies and religions speak of something similar. But I think there's also this like the human experience is really freaking hard. 
<laughs> it's really difficult and like okay you finally get to rest you, your body finally uh, gets to get to a place again hopefully the next place is a better journey but then there's also like what if you got to live a life that was so big and so bold and so you and so everything you are that mm. that final rite of passage that final moment is you got to make it to old age and you pass away like isn't that something to celebrate to like look back on everything you got to do in one lifetime mm -hmm. and go look at how gloriously you've lived how authentically you lived how how unapologetic unapologetically you you got to like be and how you experienced the world through that lens that would be something to just like just not just celebrate, but to like allow that to kind of influence all the people around you in your celebration of life um, so that people get inspired. Like, I want to live my life like that. I hope I get to make it to 95, 100 years old and say I was a pilot and I jumped out of planes or, you know, I dated models or, you know, whatever. I traveled the world or I saved a village, whatever it is, you know, that calls to you in your heart. And I think that's also where that comes from, mm -hmm. where when you get to celebrate those around us, mm -hmm. uh, why celebrating is because they lived a life well-lived or of their own choosing or they made it out of adversity you know um or like what I was like when I was younger to me death was a release death would have I I was hoping death would call me home because life was so hard so that's a yeah the celebration of life and the failure of death the death you're failing failing at life therefore you died um, yeah, that's such a, that's such a trip to me right now. I'm still kind of sitting with that. Yeah. And I love how, um, I've been looking at your work for a while, Jess, and I love how you bring this, um, not only the, the light to the darkness, but it seems like, you, you know, you're not afraid obviously to go to the darkness. And then you also have this, um, humor as well towards it. And, your ability to really see that to to die is to live like and having that that polarity that you must be in all the time like being so close to someone that is passing away and I can only imagine like when my mom was passing away being so present with her because you know that only those moments matter and I, it really makes you appreciate the the really small minute things that we take for granted every day is that what your profession really gives you um to always coming back to that moment that present moment just like and really living your life in your authenticity because you're like oh life's too short like I'm doing this today yeah you know what else it does it's like not even presence it clears out the clutter mm. so usually on a daily I have this like mantra and it's going to sound super like morbid but I'm just going to say it here and I'm like everything and everyone I love is going to die and they might die today or they might die tomorrow or in a few days months and I wonder who's going to go first I say that almost every day and yeah I go sometimes through like an existential mini crisis but what that does for me is it makes me not get so caught up in the agitation and the like stress and then the worry because I think when we're talking about like let's try to be as present as possible what we don't say is like well how the hell do I get there like you know there's all this stuff in the way and for me the most immediate thing that gets me to that place is going if my loved one my cat my dog my mom my husband were to die today what would really matter yeah. Would it matter that, you know, he didn't, you know, clean out the fiber from the sink? Or, you know, he does his like fiber drinks in the morning and he just like empties it out and it like dries and sticks to the sink. <laughs> and I'm just like, ah, you know, but does that really matter? Yeah. Or does it matter that? Or, or, but it gives me a perspective shift. I go, but you know what? He was in a hurry and at least he's taking his fiber and he's taking care of himself. And I hope he has a great day. It like creates this like shift in my mind versus like, again, I say getting caught in the agitation. Yeah. Um, it 
helped me understand people and their own human experiences. Um, you know, sitting with that aspect of life of death and dying is really hard for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And that goes for anything that is yeah. grief related, anything that's like overwhelm or even mental health issues. Like seeing someone struggles very hard for a lot of people. And that perspective helps me understand constantly like I'm okay being in these spaces I'm okay sitting in the dark in the shadow like this is I'm very comfortable here I understand it um but that doesn't mean that everyone around me does and it gives me a little more like uh it allows me to have more space with people more patience more understanding and don't get me wrong I still get really upset and like pissed off and yeah I'll definitely be like hey but I very quickly I'm like wait listen I'm sorry okay I'm <laughs> didn't wear a hat today I didn't shield you know I'm very susceptible to the energies outside whatever it is that I say and then I just kind of say like look we're just trying to human I get it but yeah that's my kind of like daily mantra um and there are times it definitely gets to me uh, and I freak out a little bit but then that allows me to go and like hold my cat mm-hmm. so my cat my familiar and he's our eldest and I'm like I don't know how much more time I have with you but while I have you I'm gonna hold you even when you're being annoying even when you're in my face picking your wet nose in my business you know um so yeah I think that's an incredible and very potent reminder that not only should we be celebrating someone's life as it ends but while they're living and while we're living yeah yeah I wanted to ask you, Jess, I act, I was, you know, similar to Tara. I really love um, the way that you connect and integrate death and shadow work. I wanted to ask you a question that I guess is a little bit morbid in a sense. Obviously, a lot of your work is with people who are uh, approaching the end of their life and aware that they're approaching the end of their life. I wanted to ask you about how to kind of navigate death, I guess, as someone who is, um, you know, uh, witnessing it or experiencing it as a third party, but then also how you think um, the person who is dying in, I guess, a a more tragic uh, life cut too short way. So whether it's like a tragic accident or, murder or suicide or you know something that is more dark and where they don't necessarily have that opportunity to um go through and navigate that transition like where it's really quick and unexpected how that person and that soul navigates that journey and also how yeah their loved ones navigate that differently you know, so I don't um, specifically work with people who have crossed over or, or having difficulty crossing over. Mm-hmm. I tend to work with other practitioners that have that gift and that skill set, which I find absolutely phenomenal. Like, that's so beautiful that you help people cross over. Um, my experience, whenever I'm working with entities in general or energies, I, I can't get a sense of their humanness, their like human emotions. What I can. Um, typically gather is like them wanting to connect or have conversations uh, with certain people. But again, so my gift is channeling or being just very emotionally sensitive, right? So I'm an empath. Um, So when it comes to people who died tragically, I don't really have an answer because I don't, I don't know what their experience is on the other side um, with them holding on to human emotions. Mm. However, the residual energy that's left behind with loved ones that is palpable that is i mean it's like walking through like a thick fog or haze and as with any grief or any loss there's there's this permission to like completely lose yourself in it is what i usually i I grant i say you have permission to completely lose yourself and i'll be your tether i'll be your anchor here because there's no way you're keeping your sanity going through something that is a complete shock, that is doesn't make any sense, that is um, not the way that we tend to structure our human experience. Like our society is this constant moving forward, linear kind of thing. And when tragedy happens, because we don't talk about it, because we don't 
everything that may occur happen, it completely shocks our system. And then we go into distraction and coping, usually. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be shock and then we'll go like okay well I still need to be productive I still need to go back to work I need to put on um you know a solid face to make sure that I'm not an inconvenience to others we have all these things all these obstacles that get in front of the processing yeah. of types of deaths and losses and so generally it takes a while and some of us will hold on to it for a really long time and then the ones the emotions that show up typically first are like the anger and then we don't day well I'm super pissed off that my loved one killed themselves or you know we're drinking or you know got a car accident or overdosed on drugs like we don't ever want to see that but that's how we're feeling and so I allow space and I say you absolutely have every right to be angry at your person you have every right to be mad that they're gone you can yell at god gods the heavens hell all of it because right now that's exactly what you're feeling and so I that space that container of support and without judgment because as a death doula I've seen a huge scope of human emotions uh, so the anger the rage is all allowed and okay and validated and then um, all the things that come afterwards then the not understanding the whys the you know like how did this happen especially when it comes to suicide, when it comes to self-death, uh, people really don't understand it. And all I can say is from my perspective and my point of view from someone who actively tried to kill themselves and had a lot of suicide and death ideation, it takes a lot for someone to go against every survival mechanism as a human being to want to take their life. And I say that time and time again, because people will say like, they're weak or they gave up and it's like it takes a lot of courage to try to like to want to take your own life not knowing what's on the other side mm -hmm. leaving behind it takes a lot of pain and suffering internally to see that as your only way out yeah again personal experience and and being a, a person of that mindset that's i would have loved for someone to just sit with me and say look obviously things are really bad right now and I don't know what to do to help you but what I'm going to do is I'm going to, sit, I'm going to sit here I'm going to listen to everything you have to say I'm not going to contradict you I'm not going to ask I'm not going to tell you to think about your loved ones your mom or what's your dad going to think or any of those things all I'm going to say is like obviously obviously you're in so much pain that I all I can do is just sit here and be with you as you're going through this regardless of come because you're on your journey and I just want you to know that you have someone here supporting you. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Um, and I'm sure those words will really be healing. Jess, I think that's such an important thing to acknowledge and yeah, not spoken about as well. Yeah. And I think a lot of people skirt around this topic because they don't want to say the wrong thing or yes. but how you just so eloquently just put that it's about being there and physically being like I'm I'm here um it's such a comforting um thing to to have and yeah hopefully with this conversation we can bring it to be not so taboo and people you know if they're feeling that way just even being able to discuss it is is huge I feel so yeah. thank you for going there and again yeah. shadow emotions right yeah yeah because it's it's so isolating you feel like you're something's wrong with you for having those thoughts and those feelings and the reality is it's like it's, this place is very hard it's very hard um and when you don't have someone to talk to when you don't have someone to relate with um you you feel very isolated and then from there you don't want to impose and you don't want to make others feel bad around you and so I even to this day have a tendency of just retreating I'm like oh I'm not doing that great all right bye and I'll just disappear for like a month and people are like what happened to you um and then I just I'm like well you know I learned that I couldn't really talk about this stuff with anyone so I just nest 
I create my little death, my death and shadow nest. And like, I'm just going to sit here with my ancestors and uh, commune with the spirits and, you know, tap into my collective and see what's, you know, if I can get some healing and understanding through all this. Um, but yeah, this is, again, it's, I'm really glad that this topic was brought up as well, because we do not talk about death enough and we don't talk about the actual nuances of how people die. Those tragic deaths, those sudden deaths, those, those traumatic deaths, or even terminal illnesses yeah. where people slowly wither away and become, you know, just shells of themselves physically, you know? Um, and that's, that's the conversations where I'm like, I can't wait to start having more of those because right now I'm really just more um, bringing people to the table. Like, hey, just let's have a little chat about, uh, you know, how do you want to be buried? <laughs> you know, um, if you had a choice, do you want to be cremated or do you want to be buried? You know, like very softly approaching, you know, just the edges of death conversations. But the ones I really want to be having are these, these mm -hmm. really deep human very human um death experiences yeah and you're you're right jess is that it's it's a process especially with someone with a terminally ill um condition um and that having that support for the family as well so they can have that understanding of what they're going to be processing and i love that you bring up all those emotions because when i was going through this process I didn't realize that anger was going to come up. Like I thought sadness, yes, but like not anger, like a feeling of abandonment, like no nothing like that. And so I feel, um, I, and it was really interesting at that time, like none of, uh, cause I was in my, um, my late twenties, none of my friends could relate and it's kind of like you know how you went in your bubble because people just don't know how to deal with it so they just want to like leave you <laughs> and I find that the more we have this conversation the more people will be able to be like I don't completely know what you're going through but like I'm here to um, offer any like support or anything like that rather than just making it weird and isolated so <laughs> yeah I love that yeah. And then there, a lot of us do die young and a lot of us do lose our parents at a young age. I'm sorry, you lost your mother. It's, that's a tether to this earth plane, our parents, you know, regardless of what kind of relationship we had with them, they're our first, especially a portal, our mother's wombs, our, our, their portals, our first step into this place. And they carry us in their bodies and protect us even physically uh, with their bodies. And to lose that, like, how do you even begin to describe to someone, you know, this kind of feeling of being unbound, uh, like having one leg kind of like gone all of a sudden. And you're just like, I'm, I don't have this thing that my whole life I was brought up to really rely on a sport system um, or to see, seek guidance in or modeling behavior after or what my ideas of traditions and culture are like, you know, those are your first, those are your first, like, it's like your first initiation into the human experience are typically your parents, your guardians. And for that to be gone, although maybe not energetically, just depending on your spiritual practice, but the physicalness of it, because we're living very physical experiences as human beings, to not have that, how do you even begin to describe the abandonment, like you said, mm. the pain? sorrow the 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 anger the like how dare you leave me like this I'm only 28 I'm just barely figuring things out I really need you um so there's so much there and I'm you know of course my heart is absolutely with you and uh, I'm I'm sad that you had to experience having to go into a bubble that you were at that age that your peers just really couldn't understand or relate but Again, this is that part of society where we're like, well, if we had, if we can start talking about it now, hopefully another 28 year old down the road when they lose their mom won't have to experience what you experienced in that loneliness, you know? Yeah, beautiful. Thank you, Jess. I really received that. Um, I think that what made it easier for me is from such a young age, my mom was always 
telling me how she wanted to be buried like what the and like as a child I was like no I don't want to know this stuff but like it really prepared me like it really prepared me and like having those conversations and understanding what was going on like that empowerment of what someone can give you um and and having conversations like this I think it's it's everything Mm. Mm. I love that your mom did that (laughs) I'm gonna be like too. I'm like, okay, kids, listen. So I definitely was thinking tree, but you know, depend on the state. Um, <laughs> I love the idea of being composted. Like, I'm definitely having those conversations with them. Um, I think the hardest part is like when you have kids and then they start talking to other kids about what they're yeah. taught. You know? yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. So my, um, you know, and parents are like, I don't know if I want my kids hanging out with your kids anymore. <laughs> so we'll see what happens when I cross that bridge. <laughs> oh amazing oh I love this conversation and just we let but em do you have anything before I give just our final question I think so I think yeah this has been such an amazing conversation and actually incredible timing I'm actually um Jess I'm going to have an interview today to be a mentor for a, a charity who deal with uh mental health and suicide in youth. And I really, yeah, what you said earlier. Wow. Yeah. You know, and that's, that is such a beautiful thing. It's like be stepping into, by the way. So I do want to, I want to bring some sacredness and honor to that. Like that's, I don't know. I just, my younger teen, teenage self feels so held when I hear people who are like, yeah, I just really want to, advocate for those spaces so thank you for doing that um I also wanted to say it's like something that I think we tend to forget and I see this all the time with my peers and other adults it's like kids already at like I remember being 11 and 12 and already having suicide and death ideation you know what I mean and so I to this day still experience adults with children who are 10 11 12 saying oh they're too young to be thinking about things like that they're too young about they're too young for death conversations or dying conversations or talking about suicide I'm like but their friends are dying self you know and killing themselves so I'm I just want to really put it out there that these conversations do need to happen and obviously respectfully however your family structured, right? But you going into this space, that understanding that the kids, I've I've experienced parents who have children who are seven who have death anxiety. Oh, yeah. Because um, a loved one passed and no one really told them anything about it. And so they knew all the, the adults yeah. were acting strange and crying or, you know, they felt unsafe and no one really described the situation to them. And so now they just have this like, feeling of the boogeyman coming and taking their loved ones away from them at any point. So then death anxiety is a conversation about death in general, can be for young kids, but then there's also the aspect of there's a large amount of young children taking their own lives right now. Yeah. Mm. Because the world and everything that we are now experiencing. Mm. And I just want to take a moment to recognize like, just because you're you're younger doesn't mean that you don't have the desires to like that the pain that how do I describe this that just because you're younger doesn't mean that your pain is any less than someone who's a grown-up because you don't know how to describe it properly or how to express it properly doesn't mean that your pain isn't as big yeah so imagine you're 12, 13 year old kid having adult pain and not knowing how to cope. Yeah. Yeah. Not having the skills or the experience to understand what's happening. Yeah. I think, yeah, as you said, it's, it's, I think conversations around death should be happening in a more accepting and accepted way Mm. for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, sorry, Em and I are going to be fun to have at parties. Yes. Everyone invite us. Everyone invite us. Next girls' night, we're talking about what we want 
spoken about at our funerals. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh, yes. Because then you start talking about doing even um, either in-person living funerals or doing virtual living funerals where you actually eulogize yourself and create wow. your own funeral and you do it in a group setting. And then the stuff that comes out is incredible. Wow. But what I've, what I've started to be a part of down here, so in California, I'm in Southern California, we have a death coven. Oh, so all the things. <laughs> Love you know, that. All those, those kind of dark, darker, you know, spaces and all dark humor and really talk about, you know, difficult things. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Thank you, Jess. I would love to ask um, our final question. What does health is a new wealth mean to you? Oh, um, uh, being with some, being someone who has battled uh, being chronically ill for about, I'm going on six years now, but I was a caretaker to my husband who was chronically ill for 10. Uh, health is everything. I, I think for me, health is immeasurable. It's like invaluable just because, you know, uh, I have to count spoons every day and be like, okay, how many spoons do I have today? Um, and then I been with my chronic illness for so long that, you know, I get really mad at my body sometimes, you know, I have those moments of like, Oh, and I had to deal with the death of my body and my abilities. And so for me, health is, my number one priority always and that doesn't mean full health it's not like coming from trying to get back to where I was it's more about you know spiritual health whole body health um, mental health and then also you know health of relationships because I had a, I've already experienced loss of all of that mm. and so yeah health is how I will spend all my money <laughs> On, on health modalities, trying to, you know, alternative ways of healing. Um, all my money goes towards that, for yeah. sure. Yeah. You're in the right company. Yeah. <laughs> Tara, you are going to hate me, but I am going to, I've thought of a question. <laughs> I've stuffed up the proceedings. But Jess, I wanted to ask you, you know, um, I don't know, I guess you hear every, every now and then, especially like older women who at the end of their life tell you about what they regret doing or mm. what they regret not doing or not saying or experiencing. I wanted to know, is there something that you hear really often that you can kind of yeah. and, and share those people's experience with the, with our coven? Yeah. The, um, from women, uh, female presenting bodies uh older women they're they're a lot of them had said uh I wish I had lived a life that I had more say um that they they felt like they had to be mothers they felt that they had to stay at home or they had to have certain jobs or certain careers or they had to make certain sacrifices for the greater good because they're mothers and women and uh, daughters and this um, you know, perfect timing with everything that's going on with our rights yeah. here in the States where it's like, we take that for granted. Um, and I, and I hear it time and time again, uh, with, like I said, female presenting, um, bodies or older women where they're like, I wish I had not listened. I wish I had traveled the world. I wish I had followed my bow to, you know, some exotic place or, you know, but I settled instead and I, you know, got married and had kids and I, there, there seems to be, and I don't want to say this as a blanket statement, but there's like still not being completely fulfilled as women, as this like whole person without the identity of, okay, this is my role and this is what I have to follow and this is what I have to do. So that's what I experienced um, when working with older folks. And, and again, women tend to outlive men. And um, yeah, that, that puts another level of appreciation of all the things that we get to do as yeah. you know, female bodies and uh, female presenting beings um, that even just 40, 50, 60 years ago, you know, 
that our forebears didn't get to. Yeah. It's something, it constantly puts me in that place of like, you didn't get to own property, you know, (laughs) or, Mm. you know, you had like, you were forced to have kids or you're forced to get married or you felt like you had to, even my own experience with my own family, my mom felt because you got pregnant, then okay, then I guess we're getting married. It wasn't this like, oh, okay, like I can just be a single mom or we can co-parent like we can now. That's more of an option. Like, well, no, I don't really like this person too much, but I do want to have this child. So I guess we can figure out co-parenting and I have my own job, my own career path and you have your own job. You know, it wasn't like that for them. It was a lot. It did have a lot to do with sacrifice. And um, that's that's been really impactful in my work. And uh, But regrets in general, I think that's really what's, why my work has evolved into this self-actualization and really working with the shadow where your mortality is a reminder of what matters. Because I heard, I've read so much about end of life regrets and I've seen them and I'm like, why do, why are we dying with regrets? Usually because, and there's also why some people have anxiety of death and dying. It's because they're not really living a life that feels like it's their own. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. Just like you mentioned, the self-actualization, so really living to our full potential. And I think that's a really deep point that you brought up that perhaps that that fear there is because we've run out of time and we haven't done what we we were thought we were going to do that was on our heart. So this is a really good permission to keep that as the top thought, really. And I definitely took that as permission. And I think especially, I know I struggle, but I think a lot of women do. We're so worried about living perfectly that we don't actually live. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Jess. I'm actually really glad we did sneak that last question in. (laughs) Oh, my. Thanks for going rogue. Um. (laughs) And Jess, where can our viewers find you and and get more of your wisdom. Mm. Uh, so right now I'm just living on Instagram, which is, you know, the death empath. And then I'm uh, moodier and spicier on TikTok. Uh, which is, <laughs> you know, but that's, there's a little more emotions and a little more like uh, uh, letting my hair down. You see more emotions, more accessing, allowing people to see what raw emotions look like on TikTok. And then at the moment I'm seeing, I'm letting my calendar rest. Uh, I was saying it was closed for a while, but right now my calendar is just resting and I'm waiting for that, you know, that kind of being reignited to to work again with people. I was doing, I did over 150 calls um, in the last, you know, really between 2020 and 2021. uh, I I worked with a lot of people. I did community workshops, programs, free events, and uh, lots of collaborations. And I was already in burnout, and then I, I went into further burnout. <laughs> so mm-hmm. right now I'm just trying to, to feel that kind of call again. But at the moment, just on Instagram, DM me. I do answer my DMs. I may take a few days, but I might try my best to stay in contact as much as possible. And then, yeah, all right. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jess. It's been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you for your wisdom. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you too. This has been amazing. This was wonderful. I love your energy. And then um, I love the podcast too. Just the the flow and the vibe and then your partnership. Thanks for listening, fellow witch. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review because this really helps us to reach other witches. And speaking of reaching fellow witches, come and join us over on social media. We are at Witches Being Witches on Instagram and you are very, very welcome in the Facebook coven, WBW coven. See you there, fellow witch. Thanks for listening to Witches Being Witches. Remember, happiness is the new rich. Inner peace is the new success. Health is the new wealth. And kindness is the new cool. We'll see you next episode.